you know, listening to each other at a time like that, when you're not talking necessarily about school and your responsibilities, helps everybody to be their best. And if we're our best with each other, we can be our best kind of for each other and for the kids. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Kate White is a third grade teacher in year 12 of the profession. She has served as a parent, volunteer, paraprofessional, Title I reading teacher, and third grade teacher. For family reasons, she abandoned her path to teaching while an undergrad. Kate finished college, but never taught until nearly 20 years later after raising her children. On this path, Kate gained the perspective she needed to be the teacher she is today. Without it, Kate believes she would have likely become wrapped up in delivering curriculum instead of helping kids grow. So I'd just like to take a second and welcome Kate to the podcast. I, I'm happy that she's decided to come and speak with us today about how we can better support engage and empower teachers. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much, Chris. Glad to be with you. So I I have to start out because you've taken quite the path to get here. And what do you love about being a school teacher? Oh, gosh, it's a long list. It's a, a changeable list. And I think, you know, referring to what you said earlier, my job, my vocation and my days are spent helping kids grow not just getting curriculum to them, but helping them be their best and grow, whether it's writing an opening paragraph or figuring out how to add fractional parts. Um, It's also helping them to grow as friends and citizens and classmates and their best people. That's awesome. You, it sounds like there's so much more that goes into teaching for you than just getting across the curriculum, like you had said um, in your bio that you sent me, the idea that you have that perspective. So keeping that in mind along the idea of how you're helping students grow in all those different areas, what's one of the best accomplishments you've had as a teacher? Uh, again, ask any different day, but today I'm thinking um, <laughs> I'm thinking back to this time two years ago, pre-COVID, when we were about to host our first wax museum. Third grade curriculum calls for the kids to study um, a famous or influential person from Massachusetts. And um, I think back to some a PLC group that I started with a friend um, that was born out of district-wide PD sessions. And it was at those sessions where, you know, you'd start to hear people mention this or share that resource and think, why aren't we capitalizing this on this a little bit more? So with one of the the teachers from another town in the district, um, we formed a voluntary monthly PLC. And we would get together and kind of self-directed, self-paced group was created. We met 
luckily, fortunately, and uh, conveniently at my school, which was centrally located. And we would kind of just within, you know, in the week leading up to a monthly meeting, you say, what's on everybody's minds? What do we want to bring or talk about? And, um, you know, we, I was able to collect a lot of resources and ideas and friendships. That friend actually became a colleague at my terrific school just a couple of years ago. Um, but one of the ideas that she had shared was this, this wax museum. So instead of having our third graders just stand up and present, which is really an overwhelming task for an eight or nine-year-old, her wax museum idea, which is nothing new, but it was new to us at my school. Uh, her idea was to have the kids just be available for a visitor to our third grade museum. And, you know, there was a lot of excitement about it, a lot of energy, and my current teammates weren't quite ready to try it as, as I had the excitement they didn't quite yet. And there was a little bit of, well, we've never done it that way, which is crap we all fall into. <laughs> but it, uh, in June of 2019, so the last time we were in school in June, we hosted our first wax museum. And, um, you know, more than 80 kids were in costume and more than 80 kids, families, grandparents uh, came and visited the museum throughout the third grade. And it was one of those days where I left school saying, this is what it's all about for these kids. You know, they learned about their Massachusetts person and they learned that person's influences and they studied and did research and all that, but they participated in something that I think created memories for them. So the learning was just as much about the curriculum pieces and the, and the historical elements as it was about being part of this event that our school hosted for their parents and grandparents and whoever else came. That's that's a great example. And it's funny that you mentioned the Wax Museum because just as an aside, I can still remember the two Wax Museums my two boys did um, when they were growing up. They participated in, in the Wax Museums. One of them did Edison and the other one did Stan Lee. And um, I was just curious when you're doing that, because I mean, you know, teachers listening to this, they, they might want some ideas and things like that. We, we often talk about student choice. Did the students get to choose who they did for a wax museum? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think student choice is such a huge piece. And I think with uh, the UDL movement and, and especially now in this remote setting, student choice is even more prevalent and ever more important. So being able to choose someone from Massachusetts still provided, you know, everybody from your skating, Nancy Kerrigan, we had, um, the name escapes me now, the, the boxer who just recently passed away, Marvin Hagler, Marvin Hagler yep. you know, to political figures and historical revolutionary figures. So it really provided enough of an opportunity and then all the creativity was a, a big piece of the choice element. So so I think that it had, it just came together in a way that it had all the elements that matter most to the kids. That's cool. That's really cool. The, um, the other piece that that made me think about is the importance of PLCs. And you had mentioned that, you know, and that's where you started with the whole idea of a PLC and, you know, one of your colleagues now. I'm part of something similar to that. And it's, it's called the mastermind, better leaders, better schools, mastermind. And it's a um, group of principals that get together and it's an international group. So we meet every week, um, obviously via zoom because it's international, but what it does is 
for me anyways, and for, for leaders, this is important for leaders to hear as well as teachers for what you said. It, it's all around the idea of ideas and, and little hints, little strategies for practice and things like that. Because you talk about the wax museum being new to you, not a new idea, but new to you. That becomes so powerful when you can find something and then own it and just kind of tweak it. Because there are pockets of this is the way we've always done it or we've never done something like that before because that's comfortable. And so it's important for not just, uh, I I tend to be long-winded, but to bring it all back around, it's important for leaders to understand that they need to be supporting teachers to get into these groups. And the way they can best do that is by getting into these types of scenarios themselves where they reach out and they work with other leaders. Because I think teachers find an incredible sense of support when they have another group that they can sit and talk with. Right. And I think that that other group, whoever it might consist of, for them to value you and you to value them kind of extends your net. And I think you're not just your audience, but your influence. So there were times that this, you know, I'm thinking of one teacher who is, she's on sabbatical this year and and doing some writing, living in um, northern Pennsylvania in the woods. But thinking (laughs) of, of how differently she approached the same work in the same district that I was in, but her ideas about, again, that same meat of the work was, were so different and it just, it would stop and, and make me pause and think, could I do that differently? Could I do it that way? And one other piece to that was um, the excitement that it created in my administrators and my school leaders when, you know, at first I thought, is it okay if I use the library every, every fourth Tuesday afternoon? And they were just thrilled to pieces and would say, like, I'm so excited that you're doing this and that you're doing it here. And so it was a kind of a neat way for us to share the good things from my building and, and share that good energy. So it, it was a win-win, I think, for, for a few of us, quite a few of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when you talk about support and then that engagement piece, I mean, how engaged were you as a teacher to see the excitement of the leaders to help with that and to say, yeah, we want you here? That's right. excellent. I always ask, you know, I always ask the opposite side of questions because I find that it it creates a sense of reflection. But along with your greatest accomplishment, what do you think was a time you didn't do well as a teacher that you possibly struggled in in one area or the other? And what I'm looking for is the idea of how a leader could have helped you through that. Well, I think as teachers, we often say, how could I have done this differently and, and I think a lot of us are looking at our leaders as people who might be overscheduled, overburdened, overtaxed. And, and a lot of times we try not to go to them to protect them as much as they are working hard to protect us. And that happened early on. It was actually in my first year, maybe it was a more emotional year than many. And I, I didn't go to my administrator and I was really fortunate that another person in the building did on my behalf. So in hindsight, I realized I really should have reached out to them because they are the building leader and they are there for me as much as the kids. But, you know, a scheduling mishap came up and uh, another teacher said, no, I I can't have you. I need you here to do something. I had planned something with my kids. And I, 
I kind of, um, she didn't understand what I had put in place. And I went along with the other teachers' plans and that left the kids disappointed. And in the end, I realized I should have been a better advocate for the kids. I took the heat um, and I took the hurt, but I couldn't take it away from them. And, and it made me realize that no, between nine and three or whatever hours those are, or from September to June, I am those those kids advocates. And I have to remember that every day. And I, and I had forgotten it that day. Sort of a long story to get to, um, just, just one small hour that I didn't stand up for the kids. And I think that has stuck with me since. Mm. Now, is there a way, because that happens to a lot of us, right? Where we have those times that in looking back, we we think we have not, we've not fulfilled our purpose of advocating for others. Is there a way a leader could have helped you with that, that you can think of? Is there a way they could have noticed that or, or even maybe even better after it occurred, is there a way they could have helped you cope with that? Great question. Because again, I think we're, we're teachers are often critical of ourselves and try not to be of others. So I think maybe one thing that would have helped would have had been better communication facilitated. I think teachers, you know, teachers talk all day. We're talking with each other and at each other and at kids. And I think the presumption that good communication is happening is not always accurate. And had this colleague and I had better communication, maybe this mishap wouldn't have happened. So I think making sure that teaching teams are as much on the same page as possible and communicating about not just that whole curriculum, not just the curriculum, but what each other needs and what how they're feeling. I'm not, I, you know, I hate to bring up a suggestion without a possible solution, and I don't know the best way for leaders to do that, but facilitating communication, it, it really matters. You know, that's, that's something so important that we always talk about, the idea of communication and effective communication. But in, in just thinking off the top of my head, I can't remember a time where there's been any kind of workshop, professional development strategy session on how to accomplish that. I mean, there's books galore on how to better communicate, how to better listen, but to actually get down to brass tacks and say, this is the kind of stuff that needs to be happening, almost like a checklist for it to be effective communication. Right. It doesn't occur. And I, I think we often live in a place where we assume and presume the best and we, because we want the best for each other. And, um, you know, back to my bio, when you said I waited 20 years, I was an older person, but I was a new teacher. And as a first year teacher, there were, you know, I, I kind of felt like a 20 year old. So, so when I wasn't able to just put myself out there and say, nope, this is right for my kids. So I think it's important with everybody, but especially with new teachers, assume the best, but help with what may be the worst today. There you go. Yeah, instead of just preparing for the worst, as we always like to say, um, make sure that you're you're there for the worst. Right. I like uh, it. <laughs> so along those lines, because you've touched on something, I personally think the, the listeners are going to get a lot of value out of, especially the leaders, the idea of facilitating good communication. Along those lines, what are 
some of the key things a leader can do to make sure they're supporting, engaging, and empowering their teachers? You know, I think teachers are, like I said a, a few minutes ago, always talking. We're often reading. We're sharing. Our days are full. Our weeks are full. And, and somehow the year just gets filled up and suddenly you're moving into the next year. And we might not have taken the time that's needed to listen. I think that some of my best leaders, my best team leaders or school leaders have been those who listen not just at a meeting or around a table, but they listen kind of with their eyes and maybe notice, you know, even the body language within a team, within the building and listen with their heart. I've been fortunate to have leaders who really have gotten to know me as a, an employee, as a mom, as a neighbor, um, and as an educator. I think that, you know, hearing what books I was reading that summer or where I traveled to on my vacation time, that helps them get to know me in a non-academic way. And it reminds me that, you know, morning breakfast, something I, I'm missing tremendously during COVID and all that. Friday breakfast at my school was the time where we had a, a potluck every Friday, a different team would bring in refreshments for everybody to share. And, you know, listening to each other at a time like that, when you're not talking necessarily about school and your responsibilities, helps everybody to be their best. And if we're our best with each other, we can be our best kind of for each other and for the kids. Another element to the listening, I think, is I think often we think of our building leaders and administrators as evaluators, and that's so not just what they are. I think if I can paraphrase what, what some of my principals and administrators have said, it's the worst part of my job. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll second that. <laughs> and I've never thought of them as evaluators anywhere near the top 10 jobs that they have. Their role is, is so much more than evaluating me. And not that I devalue my evaluation or their role in it, but if they're listening to me about my vacation or the books I've been reading, they'll know that I want to share that with my kids too. So that listening that happens anywhere and everywhere and all the time, I think will help build the relationships in the building and help everybody be their best. That's excellent. And I like the way you, you brought it back to a powerful phrase you said is helping people be their best. Two real quick things about that is you mentioned your Friday potluck and how important that is because you sit around and talk about things other than school. You get to be human for lack of a better term. We have this event at my school called Soup Fest and it only happens once a year. And so I don't know if it's, it, it's definitely a good thing, but um, I don't know if the once a year builds anticipation for it or if we need just need to get it done more than once a year. But it's we shut down our student support center, which is basically where our, our school counselors are, our adjustment counselors, and we have a conference room. And we line the conference room. A bunch of people volunteer to bring in different soups. So it's all lined with crock pots, and the outlets look like something out of a Christmas story behind the Christmas tree. Um, and there's there's bowls, there's bread, there's just different types of soups. So everybody gets like these... I say they're tiny, but you, people would have to see the size of me to understand that. But they're these smaller bowls. 
and people just go back and try all these different soups. And you've got everything from like a Weight Watchers corn chowder chili to a Southwestern chili to clam chowder to chicken tortellini. I mean, just everything you can imagine. And this is such a big event that you mentioned you're missing it because of COVID. We had to cancel the first one. No, no. Yeah, and I, I say the first one because I did say we only have one a year, but next Wednesday, which is well before this airs, we're having it, and we're having our socially distanced soup fest, and people are incredibly fired up about it. So, well, two years of anticipation, you know. Right, <laughs> right, right. Those <laughs> those moments, though, in schools are so important for leaders to make sure faculty gets the chance to be with each other on a personal level instead of be with each other on a curriculum level. We've got to discuss this student that's struggling, um, you know, and things like that. So I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up and the idea of helping people be their best. That's a big topic in and of itself. and has to do with reflection, but I, I don't want to necessarily get into it right now. What I want to do first is, is pause for a message from our sponsors And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about reflecting on how we can help people be their best. Today's podcast is brought to you by Better Leaders, Better Schools, the place out-of-the-box leaders in education turn to to grow their leadership skills. Maybe you're interested in making better decisions, creating your idea week, or building a world-class culture. Learn more at betterleadersbetterschools.com. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, so we're back with Kate and we just left off talking about helping people become their best. And, you know, reflection is such a big part of improving ourselves and others because through reflection, we can figure out what people need and how to do that. So reflection being such an important thing, Kate, for new teachers and leaders or or even, you know, more experienced teachers and leaders that are interested in, in doing some of that reflecting. Do you have some questions that you'd recommend they ask themselves or some strategies that would help them with that reflection? Oh, gosh, there are probably 20 books on every <laughs> administrator's teachers and student teacher's yeah. <laughs> shelf about that. You know, I, I do think back to that collegial time, that community time, we need to be unafraid to say, hey, you're not going to believe it. This went so well today. I think that uh, there's a a laundry list of things that you can do. It comes down to what you are able to do. So if you're back to a collegial moment, it's okay to, to boast a little bit. And I think a lot of us are afraid to do that. But finding the little nuggets from the day that went well and sharing it with a colleague will not come off, I think, as boastful, but maybe as sharing an idea. So, you know, such and such a fraction lesson went really well today. I was kind of surprised at myself. Um, is reflective 
and it is sharing. And I think that's what it comes down to. So not being afraid to share with others is important. One of the things I've done at the end and beginning of every year, and not with any great ceremony, there's no there's no gold-covered journal that I have, but I do try to write a list, you know, the top 10 hopes for next year, and I try to write that at the end of one year. So next year, I really hope I'm able to, you know, get in two wax museums in a year or whatever it might be. I think that that's a good practice to try because when it's so fresh in your mind in June, you'll come up with better better hopes and dreams for the coming year. Another um, piece that I've done is look back through my class lists. And, you know, I, at the end of every year, I print my class list out. And because over the course of years, those names and faces jumble up and say, oh, yeah, I had Susie Q or Joey used to be with me. Looking at the class list gets me to realize and think back on what I did well specifically with certain kids. Oh, right. When I see Joey's name, I'll say, oh, right. He couldn't put a string of sentences together at the beginning of the year. And by the end, he was writing three paragraphs. I did okay that year. You know, I think another method I've used is to make sure that I keep my plan books my plan pages, my binder, whatever it is. And it invariably, when I'm struggling to come up with the start of the next unit or wondering how can I ever pull this together in a way that has meaning for the kids, if I look back, it's a, it's a good reflective way to say, okay, this isn't just falling apart and, and threads can be connected. So I can look back and say, okay, I did do this pretty well. And this is what I did last time. So I may not have to reinvent it this year. Those are some fantastic ideas. And it's funny that you mention the positive side of reflecting because I, I don't know why we always tend to go towards the negative side of reflecting. Like reflecting is to, you know, single out the mistakes and the things that we did wrong. And I, I mean, I've been guilty of that too, but it's such an important thing, like you said, to remain focused on the positive things. And it's almost like an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. If we if we focus on the good things and look how to expand those rather than just focusing on negative and getting down on ourselves on how we can minimize those, we'll probably have more progress, I would think. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that it's in our nature, humans, but especially educators, to really look at, oh, where is there room for growth? Can I find a place to improve? <laughs> right, right. And, and, you know, let's look, instead of looking at the list of needs, look at the list of strengths. And, you know, in third grade, we, we're happy to host a program where Ben Franklin visits every year. And, uh, you know, an actor portrays him and talks about his, essentially, you know, early American growth mindset. Um, <laughs> there you go. He, he really was a curious person. And one of the ways I love the way he ends the program, he says, and I ask myself, what good did I do today? And I think for, for those of us, whether in the classroom or in the office, who are in charge of helping humans be their best humans, if we figure out and notice what way we help someone be their best, and if it's whether they were reading more fluently or helping a teacher build a planning time with a colleague. I think 
all of those have importance and good meaning. And you have to stop. And as I say to my kids, put your hand out far and bend it at the elbow and give yourself a tap on the back. We have to give ourselves that validation and that that little cheer at the end of every day that we have done good things. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think about, you know, leaders, we have our plans and we look back at the year, like you said, keep plans for the year and, and monthly and things like that. And I, I can't think of a leader that doesn't have all of that stuff from years prior to look at how to adjust things moving forward. But often, like we're talking about, you know, the, the focus is on the negative. So this didn't work. So we've got to adjust this or move this around instead of boy, these things really worked. How can we expand on those? I think we'd be looking at a very different calendar that we kept because things are going to go wrong. Things are going to go wrong for teachers, for leaders, for everybody. It's just the nature of the business that we're in. Education is messy. It's not supposed to be neat and wrapped up with a bow. For sure. For sure. And I think we make decisions all day, every day. And if we are being reflective and finding out what went well, to your point, Chris, how can we expand that? That's the question that I think in the, in the rat race that, and messiness that teaching sometimes is, we don't figure out a way to expand it. And, and that would be maybe one area where, where I myself can, can be a little more mindful and a little more um, intentional about it. All of us. That makes two of us on this show. And okay. I, would, I would venture to bet many people listening. So we're getting near the end, but I have two questions that I ask every person on the podcast or that I try to ask every person. If you were not a teacher, who, not what, would you be and why? Who else would I be? Boy, oh boy. I'm thinking about things that I love to do and could I still do them if I was to be someone else? Um, I love to bake and I love to share what I bake with people. So let me see. Maybe I could uh, bake and uh, be an author's neighbor. Maybe I'd like to bring cookies to um, like uh, Katie Camillo and sit on our front porch. Or <laughs> E.B. White, maybe I'd, I'd have a chat and ask, ask him to just weave some, some stories for me. Grace Lynn is an author I've met and uh, author illustrator. And just being able to, to be a neighbor to a children's author illustrator would be phenomenal. I'd, I'd love to just sit and chat and listen to them. I was going to say, that sounds like there's some benefit in that too. At first you say in baking, that's a nice trade-off for a nice front porch conversation. There you go. <laughs> the next piece is the final question. What's the most important piece of advice? If you could give a gold nugget to leaders as they work to support, engage, and empower teachers, what would that nugget of advice be? Hmm. Again, I... I'm sympathetic to the long list of responsibilities that educational leaders have. Um, so I would hate to add more, but I think maybe what brought them to their vocation is a certain energy and uh, hope for everything that they do for those around them. I think that, that they have to have a certain amount of energy, but I think sharing that energy is what matters most to the teachers in their building. You know, I'm, I'm always amazed by my, my principal's creative energy. She, she, I often think, does she really sleep more than three hours? Or <laughs> has he gone home since Friday? You know, wondering <laughs> how do they sometimes pull off what they can do? But 
an administrator who brings energy to a staff meeting, to the opening of a school play in the auditorium, that energy is so contagious. You know, when we start a PD day that's going to be six hours long, and, you know, thinking back to when uh, a, a favorite principal of mine walked in dressed as a pilot because she was ready to lead us and help us soar to new heights this year. I thought, how did she find the time to create the costume, get the props for this PD session that turned out to be a really awesome six hours of PD? The energy needed is is not overlooked, but it is so, so important. Um, and I think we as teachers will feed off of that and go back to our classrooms and let that energy be contagious and, and share it with the kids. Right. That's that's such an important piece about energy. And it reminds me, and I, I can't think of his name right now, but he came and did a, a, a speech. He did a keynote for the Principals Association here in Mass. And then we used him for an opening day keynote for the whole district to return. So we packed our whole district, all the teachers and, and stuff into our large auditorium. And he came out and he spoke and he is, he's exciting. He's funny. He wrote a book, How to Stay Positive. It's either How to Stay Positive or How to Stay Motivated on the Deck of the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> and just to give you an idea of, of how energetic this guy is. And as he talks, he asks probably about three quarters of the way through his presentation. He asks people if they know why he's so excited or so loud. And then he explains that he gets his energy from the crowd. So if he comes out all ho-hum and flat, the crowd is flat. But then if he's excited at first, the crowd gets into it and gets engaged. And as soon as that happens, he says he just, it just amps him up and he feeds off the crowd. So I think about how important it is, just to reiterate your point, how important it is for a leader, if they're to engage their staff, how important it is for them to be that engaging person, to have that energy, like you said, and to bring that energy. Right. It's a, it's a large job. It's a, it's a formidable job that, you know, I admire anybody who takes it on because it is 24-7. But someone who's bringing me their best energy is not someone I want to disappoint. It's not. It's someone I want to emulate and model. So when I know that someone's bringing me as a, as a professional in the building their best, it just helps me rise to the occasion and, and carry it forward. We're, you know, as we study fables in third grade and we're figuring out the lesson that Aesop and so many others try to teach us and kids through these fables, I'm reminded of one this week, you know, one of the kids said, oh, well, my grandmother always tells me, you get what you give. <laughs> <laughs> There's the lesson. So, you know, my best administrators have given their best and it makes me want to give my best. That's awesome. Hey, um, look, I, I don't want to try and add on to that because I'll, I'm sure I'll detract from that good message about you get what you give and the idea of, of high energy. You've said, you've said a lot of really good things today, Kate. You've, you've offered strategies that people can use and things like that. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, um, as a follow-up. What's the best way to do that? Uh, folks could send me an email at kate underscore white at wrsd.net. Best way to find me these days because 24-7 is 
on a screen. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I um, and I'll I'll throw that in the show notes so people can uh, people can get that if they want. But again, Kate, thank you very much for joining us today. Like I said, I think you've given a lot of great advice for leaders. I think you've given strategies for both teachers and leaders. So a lot of value. I really appreciate it. My true pleasure, Chris. I'm so glad you're doing this for educators of all sorts. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. Thank you.